1: more than once, actually.
0: Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lock Talk Radio. Driving on
1: night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles.
0: The
1: voice of my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling, I need you here. And John Harlow.
0: And it's a half, half four, and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight. Another great episode. We're breaking down the Food City 500 from the Bristol Motor Speedway. It was Kyle Busch's 45th career Cup Series victory and his back-to-back victory in in the 2018 season. We're also discussing Ford. They announced that they will move to the Mustang in 2019. What does that mean for Ford? What does that mean for the Ford teams? And what does that mean for the competition overall in 2019? We'll discuss that. Plus, Timothy Peters has a ride for the Talladega race in the Cup Series. He will make his Cup Series debut driving the number 92 Ford for Ricky Benton Racing Enterprises. We'll discuss that, what that means for, for Timothy Peters and that organization. And much more here on Talking Circles nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Here we talked about Kyle Busch. He beat out Kyle Larson in the closing stages of that race. Uh, Busch and Larson were really the two fast cars at the end of that race. I thought Larson was going to win it there for a while, but I'll tell you what, Kyle Busch at these short tracks at Bristol, uh, he's he's fantastic, and he proved that he can still get the job done even though Bristol changed a lot. You know, the, the uh, I think NASCAR was sort of helped by the fact that. We had a, a stoppage in the middle of the race. They were able to put some more PJ1 down and make the sticky stuff, and that, bo- that kept the bottom groove relevant during the race. Uh, I think that really helped NASCAR, and we had a really, really good show. We saw a lot of passes. Bubba Wallace, uh, a driver who doesn't normally run up front, we saw him run for the lead, and the Richard Petty Motorsports, number 43. Overall, it was a good race, and it ended with Kyle Busch and Victory Lane, John.
1: Yeah, the sad part about the race was it took so damn long. It took uh, basically two days. And they did everything they could on Sunday to try to beat the rain. And they realized there was no way they were getting it through. I mean, let's look at what NASCAR has been through this year. They had the snow out at Martinsville and then they had the monsoon that was uh, Bristol. I think the race was good. I think the best car on the track most of the day was Kurt Busch and Ryan Blaney. And Ryan Blaney just got caught up in somebody else's mess. If Ryan Blaney doesn't get caught up in that wreck, I don't think we're talking Kyle Bush and Kyle Larson tonight. I think we're no. talking that Ryan Blaney won by five seconds. And being on Rich, I mean, being at Bristol, he was running with a five second lead at points. And it wasn't because he was off sequence with Pitt or anything like that, he was that much faster than everybody. I mean, Ryan Blaney was a class of the field. Kurt Busch was just as good, and he worked himself up from starting tail end Charlie, from wrecking, and he was coming in a backup car. Harvick drove himself up from the rear of the field to finish in the top ten. There were some comers and goers, but there was also some pile ups. I mean, Martin Truex Jr. by no fault of his own got caught up in somebody's mess. That's one of the things about. I mean, one of the things about Bristol. It's almost a Daytona and Talladega. You almost, you race the track, you race each other, but then you also uh, race against luck because luck is what will get you through some of those things. That one wreck that Jimmy Johnson got through, God only knows how he did it because six cars wrecked on each side of them. And somehow the, the, it was like Moses part in the red sea that (laughs) somehow Johnson got that 48 car through there. And, um, it was funny that I was reading about Chad and Chad Knauss and, uh, his spotter talking about um, how he got through that. And he, he says, is there any damage? He goes, somehow, no. And Earl Barbin said, yeah, yeah, somehow he got through
0: that thing. It's, it's incredible how that stuff happens. There was a couple of, of of close moments for a lot of drivers in the race. But for sure, Jimmy Johnson, you mentioned him a third-place run, ran in the top five all day. Hendrick Motorsports really showed up this week. They didn't lead a ton of laps. They weren't up, they weren't up in the top two or three. But, man, it was a top-five run for Jimmy Johnson uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Had his best run of the 2018 season And a 4th place run there And then Alex Bowman in the 88 car For Hendrick Motorsports uh, He finished in the 5th position So overall a, a big day for those drivers We saw a lot of drivers have their best finishes Or the best runs of the year David Reagan finished in the 12th spot A nice run for him so, our Motorsports saw a speed all weekend Out of both of their cars McDowell only completed 3 laps Before he was caught up in somebody else's nest um, But a, a a race where, you know, short tracks. I always say this: the arrow doesn't matter as much. You know, it's more about mechanical grip there. And for these teams that have been focusing on mechanical grip, uh, and maybe are a little behind in the arrow department, it was sort of a, a equalizer this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway. Jimmy Johnson, Alex Bowman, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who really impressed a lot of people. Stenhouse did uh, a solid day for those three guys there at third, fourth, and fifth. John.
1: Yeah, I was, I was listening to Harvard last night on Happy Hours, and one of the things they were asking if there were surprises or something like that, and he said, with Stenhouse, there's no surprise at Bristol. Somehow, some way, Stenhouse works his way into the top five. Uh, it's a track that he likes. It's a track that he does well at. Um, I think one of the great things that we saw was Bubba Wallace getting to the lead, and it wasn't, again, one of those he was off pit sequence or something. He raced himself up to the front. And being the first African-American to lead laps since Wendell Scott is an impressive feat, especially for that team, because Richard Petty Motorsports has struggled almost in its entire existence since Richard Petty retired. And you had a few good runs from Bobby Hamilton and John Andretti back in the day, but they haven't really done much. Eric Almirola won the race at Daytona because it was rain short, and there was a few times Almirola looked like he was something great, but... They were a 20th, 25th place car most of the time. And you look at the difference between Almarola driving that 43 last year and Almarola driving the 10 this year. The equipment is much different because Almarola's is fighting him playoffs right now. He's been a top 10 car almost every race. And Bubba Wallace has shown that he can get the Richard Petty Motorsports vehicle moving. I think the alliance with uh, Richard Childress Racing has proved beneficial for them roush fenway i think stenhouse though i mean he's always good at bristol one of the things you're going to see down the road is i think we're going to start you're going to start hearing words about trevor bain and how he's going to start being in trouble for that ride because sponsorship will only take you so far if your sponsor is going to pay you to be in 25th pay roush to be in 25th place he can find somebody else to sit in that car i think trevor bain's about ready to be uh on the um hot seat when it comes to whether or not he gets to stay in the cup series
0: another uh tough weekend for bane he was caught up in a couple of wrecks one with jamie mcmurray which took out as you said the leader ryan ryan blaney who really you know i said this about before about him you know to me and this is surprising i would have never guessed this going into the year to me that twelve car has been the best penske car all year from daytona to bristol from the first eight races of this season um lenny has been the best Penske car. Surely seen some nice things out of Joey Logano, a bounce back year after a year. That's really um, been a struggle for him, but Belaney's really had a lot of speed. kislowski has been okay, but he got caught up in a wreck, too, at the end, and that ended up, I believe, somewhere near the 26th position for him. You know, he was running up front, but he won a couple of stages, Brad. So um, a tough day for Brad Kislowski. He got a lot of points out of it, but he hasn't found victory lane. Uh, just yet, uh, neither is team Penske, but I'm telling you, if Ryan Blaney keeps running the way he's running, um, it's, it's going to be a very, very impressive year for him. I think he's going to find victory lane a lot more than a lot of people thought coming into this season. Um, so, you know, a a good day. As far as speed is concerned for Ryan Blaney, if he can get luck in the right direction here, certainly I think he can find victory lane.
1: Well, if I remember correctly, when we made our preseason picks,
0: somebody who, uh,
1: might be talking right now, predicted Ryan Blaney would be your cup champion. I'm not sure who that might have been, but I think somebody in their preseason picks picked Ryan Blaney to be your cup champion. But that and the way he's running this year, he looks like he's gonna be one of those guys you're gonna have to fight with the whole season long. Um really there is. were some really there were some really, really tough um adverse some drivers made the best of their adversity throughout the day. Ryan Newman spun Kyle Larson out. He came back and still fought Kyle Busch for the lead. Uh, Johnson cut three tires, and they were all left-side tires. Um, Kozlowski was running good, took both stages, wound up having a left front tire issue that wound up costing him at the end. Denny Hamlin with loose wheels. Um, Kurt Busch with a loose wheel. Um, there was a lot. Again, the, the um, standard air gun, boy, it took a beating again this week. And there were a lot of, there were stories throughout the whole race. I think it was one of those ones where the right car won because Kyle Bush, every, the last four times he has strapped himself in at Bristol, he won. He won in the last truck series race he ran. He won in the last uh, Xfinity series race that he ran. And he's won in the last two cup series races. Kyle Bush is damn good at Bristol. He's won seven times. Oh yeah. And um, I was listening to Moody talk to Jeff Hammond today and said, Hey, he reminds me of that knucklehead you used to work with. Daryl Waltrip won how many times in a row? Kyle Bush is one of those ones. He is so good behind the wheel. He could go on one of those Daryl Waltrip streaks at Bristol. And that's why, whenever we were having the discussion about the 50 drivers, and Kyle Bush, we both said, might be a little high, right? Or still might be a little high on the list right now. But you can almost argue that he's maybe not high enough because he's still got half a career yet to go. He's barely in his thirties and unlike Daryl and you, like you said, Daryl Waltrip is probably one of the best short track drivers in the history of the sport. Kyle Busch can win on anything. Kyle Busch has won yep. on super speedways, mile and a half short like what he's doing at Bristol. He's turning into Daryl Walt, Daryl, uh, Waltrip jr at Bristol.
0: He really is. It was a, a very, uh, impressive victory for Kyle Busch. There's no doubt about that. I mean, um, and, and it just shows you, you know, Texas is a different racetrack than Bristol, and it just shows you where that team's at. I think when you talk about championship contenders right now, that 18's on the top of the list with the 78. I think you put there the four. Of course, we've seen some nice things from them all year long as well. Uh, but that 18's in the conversation again. As we get, you know, eight races into the season, there's no doubt that 18 is, uh, you know, in a, in, a cha- in a championship form. Now with seven, eight, eight, nine, eight two, eight zero if you want to talk, you're on Talking Circles tonight. We're talking about anything you want to talk about. we are breaking down Bristol. Um, a couple of interesting little notes. You know, I talked about David Reagan before. I thought it was a, a very impressive weekend for, for our motorsports. Not only did that Reagan went out and finished 12th, but Michael McDowell qualified in the ninth position. Reagan was fastest in final practice. Um, so, a like I said, it, this track is sort of, you look at it, short track racing and say it is a great equalizer, and which leads me to my next point here. And I just think... Anybody who watched this race this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway and doesn't think that we need more short tracks at, all around NASCAR, whether that's the Truck Series, Xfinity, and the Cup Series, we need more short tracks because it's so, it can get so just some to watch these mile-and-a-half tracks. We talk about it at nauseam sometimes uh, about these mile-and-a-half tracks and how bored we get sometimes with these mile-and-a-half tracks. But this weekend at Bristol, I thought it was a great race. I expect a good race at Richmond as well. Um, these short tracks are sort of the great equalizer. It helps teams, I think, where it takes arrow away and it focuses on mechanical grip, like I said earlier. And I just think it's a a sign that NASCAR needs to move forward and needs to get closer to these short tracks here in the coming years to sort of help save the face here of NASCAR.
1: Well one of the things, Clayton, I mean as much as we would we would love to see that. Bruton Smith and ISC spent a boatload of money over the past twenty years to build Texas, Las Vegas, Homestead, Miami, Kansas, Chicagoland, all mile and a half. The only one, sometimes two of them, I think two of them have really competitive races. I think Vegas runs great, and I think Homestead, Miami is the best race on the track. I mean, the best race on the circuit, just because they did, when they redid that, when they did it right with the uh, banking, where it's uh, multiple degrees. Um, I think those are, I mean, you see what they've done. They put a hell of a lot of investment in mile and a half tracks and they're not going to say, oops, we made a mistake and just bulldoze multi-million dollar investments. We're stuck with it for a long time. Even if the I, racing I, is better short track.
0: Yeah. Listen, I just hope that, you know, I understand after the cup series for sure. I just hope for um, the NASCAR camper World truck series and the Xfinity series. We see short tracks going forward. 917 889 as I mentioned, talking in circles. It's Clayton Kogel, John Harlow here tonight. What else stood out for you in Bristol? Are you a fan now? Has your opinion changed at all? This PGA 1, the sticky substance on the bottom grew? I mean, I think it really helped the race. I think NASCAR, and part of the reason why this race was such a good race, I believe, is because they reapplied the PGA 1 at lap 200. You know, not every, you're not going to have the time every Bristol race to do that like he did Monday morning when when uh, we were getting ready for the race to restart. So I think they sort of got a, uh, you know, a big time break there to reapply the sticky substance on the bottom groove and make the bottom groove uh, the preferred lane for a lot of that race. And so I think that really helped uh, make this a very entertaining race. Uh, but what else stood out for you this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway?
1: Well, I think the PJ one. And we've said it before, if it helps the racing, let's do it. And it has helped the racing at Bristol. It's brought it back to where it's not just follow follow the leader in the high lane. It's now where the high lane, you can knock somebody, you can do a bump and run in the low lane and they can catch you in the high lane and still go up and go side by side instead of you end up in the wall or spinning and that's all there is. The one thing with the PJ1 this week, it was too cold at Bristol for it to really make the impact. You heard the driver that whenever it would come up, Because the PJ one's not going to be there all the time. You're putting as much um, rubber into that track. It's going to bring it up instead of bringing it up in like dust. It wound up bringing it up in marbles. So you had marbles in the middle lane and it messed everybody up by doing that. I mean, you saw Harvick in that first practice, put it into the wall. And part of it is, I mean, Kurt Busch wound up putting his wall into the wall. The last lap he took, In final practice, because he said he wanted to do one more and caught a marble, got his tire just a hair out of the sticky stuff and into the wall, he went and back to a part of the weekend when it comes to Bristol. The Cup Series race was great, but I think the best thing that happened at Bristol was there was not a Cup driver in the Xfinity Series and Ryan Priest won the race. I think it was a great race on the Xfinity race on Saturday. Now, granted, there's always people who shouldn't be in that race that wound up crashing and all that stuff, but it was a good, good race. The other part of Bristol that sort of surprised me this weekend is nobody was there. Now, I know the weather played an impact, and people who thought they weren't going to get in on Sunday, and they couldn't go to work. They couldn't stay for Monday's race, but there was nobody in those stands Sunday in the first 200 laps before it went caution.
0: Yeah, I just think everybody expected to rain all day at sun, on Sunday at Bristol Motor Speedway, and I think they looked at the weather and they said, eh, it was cold, too. Not that that's an excuse, because I think, you know, people will come to a racetrack no matter what if it's cold. And we got to remember there's 150,000 seats there. But obviously we know there's an attendance issue in this sport. There's, it's no secret. I don't think anybody's surprised that there's an attendance issue. But, you know, you bring that up, and it's a very good – it's a very um, – it's an interesting topic to me because I see this a lot on Twitter – and I see this a lot on social media, not only just Twitter, but Facebook as well, where a lot of people were saying, hey, you know, if if we want, like you brought up, if we want these Cup guys out of the Xfinity Series, we should show up to these Xfinity Series races. You know, you can't have just one race uh, determine that. You know, we've had how many races over the last, Xfinity races over the last three years with Cup drivers in the field and have really, really shady attendance, um, and yeah." it's a Xfinity Series only event but where these you know Xfinity Series drivers are only run in it but again it's it's an Xfinity race you know and i think if people you know realize that and and we have this consistently 3 4 years in a row where this is an this is a this part of the schedule which i like by the way which which is what NASCAR has done sort of new this year we have four of the dash for cash races all right in a row it makes it easy to remember who's uh, run good and who's eligible for the dash for cash. It makes it entertaining, I think, to watch. I think it makes a, a good momentum. I think it's great. Um, and if you do this in these four races consistently over three or four years, and the attendance is still very low, then I say, okay, that makes sense. Nobody wants these these Xfinity series only guys in there. But after one year, um, you know, you got to remember we're not they're not all casual race fans. That are all. Hardcore race fans that buy tickets. I don't know if a lot of hardcore race fans are really going to sit there and go, "We're going to buy, going to buy a million tickets at Bristol." It's the casual fan. It's the casual fan sits there and goes, "I like what I saw at Bristol on Saturday. I'm going to come, or, or, yeah, on Saturday, I'm going to come back next year because I didn't see Kyle Busch lead 400 laps in the Xfinity Series race. I want to come back next year just for that." That's the sign in the right direction. I think next year's attendance, if they do these next four, likely seen consistently. If they do this consistently. I think that'll be a better sign of what we see instead of the next three races. I just don't think you can tell me that these races uh, – you know, that this is a sign that people don't want um, the cup guys in the Xfinity Series, that the attendance is low, and that's the reason why we should have cup guys in the Xfinity Series. Because even when the cup guys are in the Xfinity Series, like like we've shown in the last four years, uh, the attendance is very low.
1: Yeah, I don't think the Cup, dri- as much as they try to say the Cup dri- cup drivers move the needle when it comes to attendance for the Xfinity races, I don't think they move it that much, if anything. There's probably about the same amount of crowd at Bristol on Saturday as there was last year for the Xfinity race. It just wasn't Kyle Busch leading 400 or 250 to 300 laps. I thought it was a very competitive race. I think, and one of the things that was brought up whenever they were talking about it with the... Um, Cup drivers not being there, they were saying about the only one from the Xfinity series who won this season was Daniel Hemrick when he won at Daytona, which is a crapshoot to begin with. So you have all the Xfinity drivers running together. It was a great race. And one of the things on the Xfinity thing that I really enjoyed was they thought there was a post-race penalty for Daniel Hemrick, and there wasn't. And before the end of the night, NASCAR corrected which I have to give them kudos for. That's one of the few times they've ever done something like that.
0: Yeah, and the was with that, I'm sure they'll work that out. But certainly, I think you look at it and you say, um, it's nice that at in there. I feel bad for Brandon Jones. I mean, Brandon Jones ran a really good race on Sunday, on Saturday. Uh, he, he was leading a lot of laps. I don't understand Chris Capehart's strategy move at the end of that race where he took two left-side tires and everybody else behind him took four. Um, and I think that really cost Jones the race, but sometimes you got to, you know, when you're in the lead, it's a really tough spot there and you live and you learn. And I think you'll, you know, obviously if he had that decision over again, he wouldn't do it. But Jones was the beneficiary of the Hemrick's car uh, being a little bit out of skew. And unfortunately for Jones, you know, it was announced he was in there, in the dash for cash. And then it was told from him that he was no longer in the dash for cash. So it was sort of a double whammy day on Saturday for Brandon Jones, because he didn't win the race after leading about 200 laps. And, he was the beneficiary of Daniel ben Hemrick's car, um, you know, failing post-race inspection and then all of a sudden and being out of the dash for cash, and then they put him back in. So a tough day there. But, you know, you can't say enough about Ryan Priest. This kid is a great race car driver. Um, you know, and I hear a lot of people saying 27 years old, he's too old baloney on that. This guy can win races and the right stuff. He's proven it. It's a second career win. I'm excited to see him in these, And next we can end here at Richmond. I think he can go out there and, and put a good uh, race together there for Joe Racing as well. So um, I think Priest is a, a, a fantastic race car driver, um, and I hope he gets more opportunities down the road and maybe a full-time Xfinity Series ride. Uh, but no doubt the Xfinity race was good. I think it was nice and refreshing to see new names. And, and look at, listen to the things we're talking about. You know, Allgaier finished second, Daniel Hemrick in third. I mean, these are the guys that need recognition. And, and I thought Matt Weaver, who is a writer in NASCAR, he works for um, all those uh, – a couple of websites – throughout the uh the racing world um had a a very good tweet where he said you know it's you want these guys to be your next stars it's hard for these guys to be a star when they're running in fifth spot behind four cup guys i think that hits the nail on the head and uh a a certainly a great race at the xfinity series race at bristol this weekend yeah one of the things that kind of
1: surprised me though i don't think ryan priest is actually running this week Noah Gregson's in the 18 car, so right. it's it's sad that Ryan Priest hears, wins the race. Could go in for the next hundred thousand dollars. and be eligible for the Dash for Cash again, and he's going home and
0: running modified this weekend. Yeah, it's it's rough, and, and again, that's the life of not having a, a sponsorship behind you. And I did, yeah, you're right. It is Gregson in the 18. My my flub there, uh, you know. But again, the kid just proves every time he's in that car, he does a great job, and I think that shouldn't be overlooked for sure. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Talking circles. Clayton Caudle, John Harlow. Interesting announcement this weekend. A couple of them, John. One from Ford. Uh, Ford's announced after a what has been a stellar, a red hot start to the 2018 season, um, and a lot of speculation that Ford was going to be behind starting 2018. They announced that we're going to have a new car next year with the Mustang. Um, They've announced the Mustang is coming to the Cup Series for 2018, for 2019. And so the Fusion that they run in 2018 and the Fusion body style will be gone after the 2018 season. Listen, with the red hot start Ford got off to, I think a lot of people thought, well, maybe they're going to stick with the Fusion. Not that way. Here comes the Mustang, John, for 2019.
1: I think it's a smart move because, um, I listened to Jack Roush talk about it. And there's nobody who loves Mustangs more than Jack Roush. And he said the way the Fusion set up, the or at least the other two manufacturers, Toyota and Chevy, their bodies are set up for rear grip. The Fusion isn't compared to what the Mustang will be. And plus, the Mustang is just, it's so much cooler to say, I'm racing a Mustang than I'm racing a Fusion. A Fusion's a family car. And especially when you're going against a Camaro. Now, the Camry, whole different thing for Toyota. That's what they got. That's what they're using. They haven't come up with a muscle car, per se. But it sounds cooler when you're, I'm driving a Ford Mustang in the race instead of I'm driving a Ford Fusion. I think it's going to work out well for Ford. Um, they've put a lot of work into this year. Um, and especially with the new uh, inspection process, I think it's caught up with some of the room that everybody else had before, and it made it equal. And Ford has done well. I think if you put a Robert, I mean a Doug Yates engine in any kind of Ford, it's going to compete, especially if they spend the time that Ford will do to make sure the bodies and stuff are right and make sure the setups are right and make sure the, the way they present it to NASCAR, that car is going to be ready to go next year. I think Ford's going to come out of the gate hot and do well with the Mustang because Edsel Ford definitely doesn't want to go to the back of the pack after having the year they're having this year.
0: Yeah, I understand that. And certainly, um, you know, it's five years down the road, Ford will be beneficial from this. I think what we have to look at, too, is Ford's in the business certainly to run well and be competitive, but they're also in the business to sell cars. You know, you see that old adage, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Um, and not that the future doesn't sell. I'm sure it does, but they want to sell their Mustang. It's a more high-priced car, certainly Um, And that's the thing they want to move to. And if they they know that's the future of what they want to get to is their sports car, then they make the move sooner rather than later. Here's my fear for the four teams. We've seen it with Chevrolet this year. Chevrolet still, uh, aside from the Daytona 500, still winless um, in 2018 with the new Camaro. Uh, We've seen some growing pains, especially in the mile-and-a-half tracks. We saw it last year with Stewart Haas when they had to completely change their inventory around last year. Um, from Chevrolet to Ford, and now you're going to give a new body here for the four teams. Will we see some growing pains with this new Mustang next year, do you think, um, and how will that affect these teams going forward?
1: I think they'll – I think they're going to have some growing pains, but I don't think it'll be as bad as Chevrolet as this year. I think the Chevy folks have been off for a couple years. I mean, you look – Johnson hadn't won since Texas the last year. And Hendrick Motorsports isn't what Hendrick Motorsports has been. I mean, you take Jeff Gordon, Dale Jr., and Casey Kane and what they know to explain to crew chiefs and replace them with Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, and William Byron. That's a big change. The only Chevy car who's running great has been Larson. And Larson, he can't tell you what's in the car. He has no clue. He can tell you it goes fast. He can tell you if he's loose or tight, but he has no clue how to make it tighter or looser. Um, and him and Chad Johnson have worked all well with that. I think Ford has so many drivers right now who are contenders on a regular basis. Joey Logano, Brad Kislowski, Ryan Blaney has stepped up, and he is huge. He's going to be a star in this sport. Um, he has a chance of passing Chase Elliott for being the, the lead driver to be the face of NASCAR in the future because he's that good. Then you've got Harvick, Kurt Busch, Boyer. has done well in the, in the 10 car. Um, Stenhouse has done well in the 17 considering the equipment he has at Roush Fenway. So Ford's got a good bunch of drivers who can combine their heads and they've got a great bunch of crew chiefs. Ford's not going to get left behind. I think right now Chevy's in a lull with who they have as drivers and who they have as their owners. Hendrick Motorsports is not strong as they have been. Roush, I mean, uh, Richard Childress Racing hasn't been strong in a long time, and they suffered since Harvick left. They have not been that good in the last five years. And the only real star they have for the future, I mean, in Chevrolet, other than Chase Elliott, is Kyle Larson. They're the two stars coming up the race, I mean, to represent Chevy in the future. And I don't know if it's something inside of Hendrick Motorsports, but they just haven't been right in the past year.
0: And, um, you know, we'll see if they can get their arms around this this new Camaro here as the season goes on. You know, the first part of the year, the first five races are hard to judge a team's you know, uh, performance because you're out west. You know, you run out west, you do a, a quick West Coast swing, and you can't in, implement what you learned inside. You know, with those cars out west. You know, so those three races, you kind of got what you got, and then you bring it back east. You get an off weekend after Martinsville, and you go, okay, here's what we learned. Um, and we saw some, de- you know, decent speed, a, a little bit better performance at Texas, but I think Texas is sort of a different mile and a half track as a one groove racetrack right now. Texas. Is um, so when we get to Kansas in a couple of weeks, Charlotte, I think those are going to be good barometers. Uh, not the All Star race because you're going to have plates on it on the cars, but as far as far as Charlotte, the 600 mileer is concerned, um, I think that's going to be a good barometer here. The early part of the year where you're going to sit there and you're going to go, okay, where are the Chevrolet teams have they can they get their arms around this Camaro? It's going to be very interesting to see. Um, but right now, you know, in this little you know, uh, fun. I call it the fun part of the schedule. I love B- Bristol. I love Richmond. I love Talladega. Um, you know, if you're Chevrolet teams, you have to get get your wins here. You know, if you're Chase Elliott and, and Jimmy Johnson and these guys who want to get wins, if you're not going to be great in the a half this year, you have to sort of get your wins on these shorter tracks. So, um, you know, you put a lot of effort into these races. That's what I would do if I'm them. And we'll see. You know, Richmond's a different animal than Bristol. Obviously, Bristol's a much more high bank, a faster short track than Richmond, where it's a, a not very banked at all. Um, it's going to be an interesting weekend at at Richmond for sure. We discussed Ricky Stenhouse Jr., John, and some good news for him. Fastenal, Fifth Third Bank, and Sunny Delight, Sunny D, they call it now, what used to be called Sunny Delight, all renewed their sponsorships with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and Rashford Racing to the 2021 season. So that's three more years on top of this season for Fastenal, Fifth Third Bank, and Sunny D. So, as much as, and, and listen, I think Roush Fenway has struggled here over the last few years. As much as they've struggled here, John, some good news this weekend for them uh, as far as their sponsorships partnerships are concerned.
1: I think Ricky Stenhouse is a good young driver. Um, I think he represents his sponsors well, he represents himself well, and he is the lead dog for Roush Fenway. He is the guy that they have to mount their horse to and pull the wagon because. If I'm Roush Fenway, I sure as hell ain't dealing with Trevor Bain. And I'm wondering if right about now Steve Newmark and Jack Roush are scratching their heads in their building in Concord, North Carolina, saying, damn, we should have kept Chris Buescher. But Stenhouse has been great for his sponsors. I think he's a, a good driver. I think he's just doesn't have the equipment, but hopefully with the um, security of having three-year sponsorships down the road that Roush Fenway has the money to invest even more and get themselves back into the place where they were, they used to be the Ford team. It was Roush Fenway. It was Roush racing back in the day. It was all Roush all the time when it came to Fords and everybody else was just second fiddle. Now Roush Fenway is third best and barely hanging on to third because in reality, front row motorsports for what they have and what they put into their cars David Reagan and Michael McDowell probably are just as good as Ricky Stenhouse and Trevor Bain, if you average the two together. Stenhouse is better than all of all, of the four of them, but I think Front Row Motorsports is catching up the Roush Fenway.
0: It's interesting you say that because um, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours about the standings, and and um, I'll bring him up here in a little bit. If you look at the, the point standings right now, and I know it's been a tough season for Trevor Bain, He's had some bad luck as well. Uh, on top of, you know, not running as well as they should. Uh, but right now, Trevor Bain is behind both Michael McDowell and David Reagan in points. Reagan 26th, McDowell 27th, Trevor Bain 28th, while Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is 18th. A big run for him. Stenhouse has had some bad luck, too. He's wrecked three cars and went to backups three times this year already in just eight races. Um, but, uh, again, a solid weekend last week. And I think that will help. Build momentum for Stenhouse. They're very where Roush is good and where they're they're very good. And this is kind of opposite of what they used to be, which is funny. You know, they used to be we always said, well, if Roush is back, we know they're back because they'll perform on a mile and a half because that used to be their bread and butter. Now we're seeing him perform on the shorter tracks and the super speedways, and not so much on the mile and a half tracks. So it's kind of an interesting how things have changed over the last decade here for Roush our Racing, where you could say their Achilles heel, you know, when Carl Edwards was running for a championship, and, uh, you know, Jeff Burton was there and Mark Martin was there and uh, Greg Biffle and Matt Kenseth, their Achilles heel used to be the shorter tracks. You know, New Hampshire, the Richmonds, Martinsvilles, Bristols, they weren't great there, um, and they were dominant in the mile-and-a-half tracks. Now it's sort of taking a, a sort of a 180 here for Rash Fenway. So that's certainly interesting to see. And, again, Rash Fenway along with, I think, Team Hendrick, uh, Hendrick Motorsports, I think del- those are the teams, even Richard Childress Racing, where, um, you know, Austin Dillon's got a Daytona 500 win, but Ryan Newman, I think, is a guy who you look at and you say, well, maybe we should, um, you know, these this is the time for them to get their wins if they're going to win. Because, you know, obviously the mile and a halfs are a little bit behind on, but if they can get their wins here in these next two weekends, it'll change the game up completely.
1: Yeah, Newman was running well on uh, Sunday, wound up
0: – let's see, where did he end up fitting but he was running up
1: well he was running well on Sunday wound up getting into Larson and spinning him out but he was up in the front most of the day on Sunday finished 10th so it was a good day for Newman and he's still hanging in there he's 15th in points so if the playoffs started today he would be in the scary part is if the playoffs started today and we've talked about some of the teams that um we would be surprised with look let's look at who would be out of the playoffs today. Jimmy Johnson, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Jamie McMurray. Chase Elliott's going to have to get a win to get in the playoffs because of the two penalties they've gotten. Daniel Suarez, Michael McDowell, and David Reagan, as you said, are ahead of Trevor Bain. They're also ahead of Casey Kane. And Casey Kane was supposed to bring life to the 95 that Michael McDowell didn't. Mm -hmm. And he's two two spots ahead of him in points, 14 points ahead. Ty Dillon's 30th in points. So there's, yeah, I mean, you've year. got Dinger back there, you've got Wallace in 21st, Byron's 19th. There's a lot of big names that if the playoffs started today would have as much chance of winning the championship as you and I do.
0: Yeah, listen, I mean, uh, Dylan, Ty Dillon's had a really tough year this year. They changed the crew chief over there, Matt Ballone's now the crew chief. They had Booty Barker, and I think a lot of people expected a little bit of an uptick in performance, and that 13 car just hasn't been there. Um, you know, whether or not it's, it's you know, Dylan and, and uh, Matt Borland getting used to each other still, I don't know what the, the deal is. And you would think that that team um, sort of got some RCR people that when RCR shut their 13 down with that 27 car, they sort of acquired some of those people. He did with Matt Borland, and it just hasn't really worked out for him. So it's been a really tough year for Ty Dillon, no doubt about that. I don't think uh, anybody expected it. I, I'm not sure if they expected that 13 car to two fake the chase, but they certainly expected him to compete, and he hasn't done that, and right now he's 30th in points, and he's not making it on points as far as the Chase is concerned. He's going to have to win a race, too, as well. As you mentioned, Chase Elliott, I mean, those penalties have, have really, really hurt that team. I think we t- talked about it earlier. I think they've lost uh, 45, 45 points in the last... In, in, in two weeks, so when you look at that, you know, and you give him 45 more points, that puts him about 180. That would put him in the chase right now, so... um in the playoffs right now, I should say. So, listen, he, he would be right back in there. He wouldn't be locked in, but he'd have a much better chance here in the next, uh, you know, uh, 18 races to lock himself into the, into the playoffs via the points. He's not going to be able to do that. I want to talk about a guy, though, that I see in points that's kind of surprised me where he is. And not that I think he's run bad, but I just wouldn't expect him to be there just because we really haven't heard a lot from him this year. And he, he finished – a very impressive fifth-place run at Bristol. That was his best career finish. That's Alex Bowman. You know, you got to remember this 88 car a year ago completely missed the playoffs with a veteran, Dale Earnhardt Jr., in it last year. And we're talking about Hendrick Motorsports and that they're not, you know, hitting their stride. Alex Bowman's 13th in the points. You know, and I know it's very early in the season still, and you say, well, they've got a lot of races left to go. We haven't seen some of the teams. You know, there's still some bad luck in there, but – that's a darn good start to the season so far for that 88 car. If they do get better, and, they, and Hendrick Motorsports shows an uptick in their performance, I mean, Alex Bowman's right there to make the playoffs. What he's done in these first eight races is put himself in a good opportunity. You know, he's behind Eric Jones, who's 12th, and Eric Amarola 11th. And we've, we've talked at Nauseam about how Eric Amarola's had a really good year. Bowman's just two positions behind. So, you know, as, again, he hasn't been flashy with it. But a couple of very consistent runs for him, and he finds himself 13th in the points. I think that, to me right now, on the positive side, is the biggest surprise for uh, for me.
1: I was um, on happy hours. Matt Yochum asked Kevin Harvick with the struggles that Hendrick Motorsports has. If he had to, if he was in Vegas and had to put his money on any of the drivers at Hendrick Motorsports to make the playoffs, Harvick actually said Alex Bowman. He said he's been the most consistent all year. He said Chase Elliott's run the best. But Chase Elliott has run a afoul with NASCAR, and Chase Elliott's going to have to win to get in. But Alex Bowman has slowly but surely, quietly um, kept himself out of trouble, fin- had good finishes, and I think you and I talked a little bit last year that how much of it was Dale Jr. mailed it in? Wouldn't put himself in those dicey situations. He wanted to get out and he figured he had to run the year for the because he missed half of the year before he got cleared. He owed it to his sponsors. He owed it to Rick Hendrick. He ran the year to make sure the money was there for Hendrick Motorsports because Nationwide and the other sponsors were pouring $30 million into the 88 car. I don't think they're getting $30 million from that group this year sponsor Alex Bowman. So I think Dale Jr. Yeah. figured he had to go put the time in and finish the season to help Rick Hendrick out to get ready for this year so there was money left over for Alex Bowman and them so they could take over and go forward. I think Alex Bowman and Greg Ives have gelled well together. And I think Alex Bowman, now that he's finally gotten the chance in good equipment, is doing well. It's one of those things I'd like to see the same thing with Ryan Priest. I think if you put Ryan Priest in good cup equipment, you've seen what he's done in good Xfinity equipment. He ran the year for Johnny Davis, and Johnny Davis works his heart out but Johnny Davis, isn't, his teams aren't competing for wins. He's driven for Joe Gibbs, what, seven times now? He has two, te- two wins, and every time he's run, he's been in the top ten. I think Alex Bowman put him in last year in the Xfinity Series because they wanted to get some track time because all he did was simulate, and he won. So I think Alex Bowman's a good driver. He's in good equipment, and I think him and Greg Ives are going to gel well together.
0: Yeah, listen, I, I mean – I was shocked to see that, but I talked about earlier about how these short tracks are, are races where these guys who these teams who have really struggled on a mile and a half so far this year. It's a place where they can gain some points and Bowman on the two short tracks so far this season, seventh and fifth. Uh, so that's where he's And, and he hasn't been horrible on the mile and a half, you know, but a couple of 13th place runs at Fontana 16th place run at Las Vegas, 20th at Atlanta, but that's not great. And that's, there's still a lot of work to do, but he didn't tear it down a wall. Um, so I think when you look at the seventh place run and the fifth place run at Martinsville and Bristol, that's really where he's sort of um, gained some points on the competition uh, that, he, that he's in here going against here in 2018. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. A couple of interesting other news coming out this week. Um, one is that the Truck Series uh, Bristol Motor Speedway should say announced this week that they will move their Truck Series event, their annual Truck Series event, which normally runs on a Wednesday to a Thursday which I found very curious. I love that race I loved, Um you know, we have a cup race on a Sunday and then all of a sudden 2 days later, 3 days later we're watching a a truck series race and truck series guys battling out at the short track at Bristol Motor Speedway. They're in, they're moving it to a Thursday night. Um is this a big deal John at all to you? does it matter at all. Um I think they kind of want three consecutive weekends there. Uh what are your thoughts on on a truck series moving to uh a Thursday night? this year at Bristol Motor Speedway?
1: I think it's six of one, half dozen of the other. I like it on Wednesday night, and it gives them the day of, of Thursday to pretty much repaint the walls and get everything set for the Xfinity and Cup race on Friday and Saturday. But I think Thursday night isn't going to hurt anything. It's a different night than people are used to watching racing Though, I mean, they're used to the Bristol race on Wednesday. They're used to the Mud Summer Classic or whatever they're calling it now for Eldora on Wednesday. They're two cool middle-of-the-week events. But I think to try to get the crowd better, it's easier to get them in for three nights. So I think that's why they're trying to move it to Thursday. And I heard one of the people calling Moody. What happens if it rains on Thursday? If it rained on Wednesday, they could run it on Thursday. What happens if it rains on Thursday? Guess what? They'll run it Friday afternoon. Or they'll run it Saturday afternoon. One of the two, they'll get it. So that's not going to matter. I think having it Thursday, Friday, Saturday is more beneficial to the fans. It's going to be cheaper for the fans to do three nights instead of four. And if you buy the package, you're like, boom, boom, boom. And you know, you get raped trying to get a hotel at Bristol. So it's better for the fans doing it three nights in a row and try to stretch it out instead of that off day.
0: Yeah. And that's a very good point about the three days in a row for the fans, not only for them, but for the, uh, for the TV networks and everything as well. You know, uh, although the truck series will be on Fox at that point, and the other TVs, you know, the other series will be on NBC. So that doesn't—I don't know if that may, means as much. Um, but you know, definitely for the fans, I think you look at it and you say, "Well, if I want to make a, a summer trip, let's go to Bristol and do all three wheat races at Bristol Motor Speedway on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Boom, boom. Let's get them all out of the way. We got Sunday to drive home. That'd be pretty cool if you do that. So, yeah, I think that's that, that's definitely a factor that's factored in, and we'll see if the attendance picks up. Plus, I think you know uh, Thursday night might be a better night as far as television is concerned. I wonder how much they um, put into that as well, uh, how much input they had in that move. A couple other things I want to get to quick. Um, one is, and this is sort of a tie-in, I want to talk about Lana Castle. Lana Castle, 20th place run, that was his best run of the year. We talked about how Jimmy Johnson, uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Alex Bowman, David Reagan had had their best run of the year. Landon Castle did, too. That double-zero car since Castle's been in it is really – we saw a real uptick in performance in that double-zero car since Castle's been in it, and whether or not that's because they got better equipment in that car or Landon Castle just meshes better with that race team. I'm not sure what it is, but he is really – we've really seen that team uh, pick up in performance. But they also announced that Joey Gase will be driving the double-double-zero car at Talladega Super Speedway next week. Sparks Energy Incorporated will be the sponsorship – on That car at Talladega So um, what are your thoughts on Starcom Racing here, you know, announcing Gase And Landon Castle's performance um, In these first couple of races Here at Starcom It's a
1: hell of a lot better than the dumpster fire That it was with Jeffrey Earnhardt in a car um, I think if anything it proves that Jeffrey Earnhardt has no business being at the cup level I think it almost Proves that Jeffrey Earnhardt uh, The only He runs like Kerry and Kerry was Dale Earnhardt's son and got a few rides in the cup series because he was Dale Earnhardt's son. Kerry Earnhardt was not Dale Earnhardt, and he wasn't Dale Jr. Matter of fact, Kelly was a better driver than Kerry, and it seems like Jeffrey is following in Kerry's footsteps. He's just been able to get more cup rides because of the Earnhardt name, and he's been able to pull a couple sponsorships because of it. But he's not he's not the guy who should be in a car. Uh, the performance in Starcom Racing grew immensely the minute Landon Castle stepped into that stepped into the seat. Um, and I think Joe Ace is a driver. So a good move for Starcom Racing, the fact that they're a first-year team, and they're going to struggle out of the gate because they're building everything up and trying to get something going. But Derek Cope and the group from Starcom Racing have started to put together a little organization that can And it's nice to see um, Landon Castle in 20th. Now, granted, again, it's Bristol. It's sort of like finishing 20th at Talladega or Daytona. There's going to be some Mm -hmm. pileups where good cars are going to finish behind you. But he was respectable all day
0: long. Yeah, he was. You know, I fought for a lucky dog there. Um, You know, and you mentioned the attrition rate. There's no doubt the attrition rate uh, was high. And I think that benefited him to get a top 20. But still, we've seen this team perform a lot better here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, for sure. Also, a, a feel-good announcement, I guess you can say, here uh, coming out. I don't know if it was officially announced. It was leaked yesterday, officially announced to the racingexperts.com today. Um, yesterday, it was funny. Ricky Bent Racing Enterprises put a picture up on Facebook of their race car, and you know, Reddit, of course, got on it and said, hey, look at the name on the side of that race car. It's just Timothy Peters, and Peters, who's a veteran of the truck series, I think he's made 290-some-odd starts in the truck series. You know, he's won a ton of races there. He's had a really good uh, career in the truck series, but he's yet to make a cup series start. Um, And that 92 car, it's a cup car, so you see Timothy Peters' name on the side, and you go, wow, he's running a cup race wherever they're going to go, and you would assume it's Talladega because they ran Daytona, and they would go to the play tracks. Well, today they confirmed that is the case. Timothy Peters, the veteran truck series driver, will run and make his Cup Series debut at Talladega Super Speedway here next week in the number 92 Ford for Ricky Benton Racing Enterprises. Uh, I love Timothy Peters. I think Peters is a guy who, you know, what he did in a truck series a bunch of years ago when it was his own team, uh, his own deal, um, and and was competitive. And it led Red Horse Racing to sort of purchase that team and take him under their wing. And he ran there and had a really good run there at Red Horse before they shut their organization down about this time last year, um, it was it was great to see Peters com- compete like that. So um, it's cool to see him get a cup ride because, to me, he certainly earned it with how much he's put into the truck series for sure. Yeah, I've, I've Timothy,
1: you and I both said it, Timothy Peters is a great feel-good story. He's one of those guys who was always competitive, whether he was in the best stuff or not, whether it just was a white truck because Red Horse Racing didn't have sponsorship on it or whatever. He always found his way to be competitive. He he was a top 10 truck all the time, unless somebody got into him. He was never out to lunch. And it's nice to see him get a shot at the Cup Series. I hope it's not one of those where he's going to drive 10 laps and pull it in. I hope he doesn't get caught up in something. I'd like to see Timothy Peters have a shot to be competitive and get a top 20 in a Cup Series, so... It turns into a good story for them. It'd be really nice at the end of Talladega to hear them. You remember when Matt DiBenedetto finished at fifth in uh, Bristol whenever he was driving for BK Racing and how excited everybody was and how everybody was in tears and all that good stuff. I like for uh, Timothy Peters because I think if he would end up somehow pulling off the top five at Talladega, that would be the story of the race, not whoever won.
0: No, I agree. I think it would be awesome to see. And they're going to use the same car that David Gilliland raced in the Daytona 500. Um, so, you know, Gilliland, I think a lot of people expected him to be back in that car uh, for the super speedways, but it's going to be Timothy Peters who ran their truck series race at Martinsville, got a top 10 out of it. Um, a, a very good day for sure for Timothy Peters. Now I'm Let's preview Richmond here a little bit, John. It's a, it's a fun racetrack. I know it's one of your favorite racetracks on a circuit, a, Non-contact short track, they call it the super speedways of short tracks. Um, You know, this this track was redesigned from the Fairgrounds track in 1988, in the middle of the 88 season. Uh, It was the first race in the 88 season was on the Fairgrounds track. Then the new configuration in 88 was, um, you know, was raced on in the second race of the 88 season. We've run at the new configuration at Richmond ever since. But uh, it's a fun racetrack. It's a good racetrack. I'm excited for the event. Um, You know, what do you expect to see? Do you expect to see these Chevrolet teams, which we talked about again at at length here today, who have struggled on a mile-and-a-half tracks, do you expect them to compete, go up there and run as hard as they can, uh, like we saw them at Bristol, with Jimmy Johnson finishing third and and Alex Bowman in fifth? Or do you think this is going to be a little bit of a different short track where, you know, mechanical grip isn't as big here at richmond as it is at bristol what are your thoughts um heading in for this weekend at richmond international raceway
1: well it's really hard to believe it's been 30 years since they redesigned the track it's been that long since they redid it 1988 30 years um yeah i think no matter and, what and, you have to talk before you think about anything you got to talk about kyle bush hmm. kyle bush going for three in a row and kyle bush has shown he can win anywhere He's won at Richmond before. He's very good at Richmond. You have to talk about Denny Hamlin. That's Denny Hamlin's home ground, and he's going to be excited because him and Kyle Bush are running down at um, Langley Speedway tomorrow for the Denny Hamlin short track shootout. So they are excited to go to Richmond. Joe Gibbs racing always does well at Richmond. So you've got Denny Hamlin, you've got Kyle Bush and Denny learned I mean Kyle Bush learned a lot from Denny Hamlin whenever he came to Joe Gibbs racing. And it's turned things around from his original performance at uh, Richmond whenever he was with Hendrick Motorsports. You have to talk about Clint Boyer. Clint Boyer's always good at uh, Richmond. If you remember, he was running in third place the year that Kyle took out Kyle, uh, Dale Jr. from the lead, and <laughs> Boyer wound yep. up running the race. And Boyer, the day – I mean, Spingate, you remember that? He was in the top ten. Yeah. And one of the reasons he had to spin was to make sure that Truex got into the playoffs Cause he needed those extra two next extra positions. So, but Boyer is really good at Richmond. Kurt Busch is really good at Richmond. is really good at Richmond. Joey Logano won this race last year when it was in the daytime, even though it was encumbered. I mean, it's there's 10 cars easily can win this race. And it's really I tough think- to pick one, but the one you have to look at first and foremost until somebody beats him right now is Kyle Busch.
0: I agree. And I think, you know that, that again points to the short track thing where, you know, it's sort of the great equalizer. And I, I love this track; it's gonna be fun. You know, you talked about the Langley Speedway um, race where you say, "Hey, it's Denny Hamlin's short track challenge." And we talked about grassroots racing and how Kevin Harvick called out a couple about a couple of months ago about how these tracks need to sort of get back to uh, the lower series. And, and this is a perfect example. You know, Richmond is Denny Hamlin's hometown racetrack. There to me, there's no reason why, and and I. I applaud Langley speedway for take stepping up and putting this event on, but there's no reason why this race shouldn't be at Richmond raceway this weekend. I'm sorry. Uh, there's no reason why it shouldn't be there, uh, tomorrow. And it would get a lot more recognition. I think a lot more fans would have access to, to go. I have no idea why, um, you know, why that race isn't at Richmond international it isn't at Richmond raceway. I think that's totally, totally ridiculous. Um, I would like, to, it was one time at Richmond, Obviously, no longer, and I just hope that for whatever reason um, why Richmond doesn't host that event anymore, I hope the fact that um, you know these drivers have pointed out the fact that these racetracks are sort of focus just on the Cup and Xfinity Series races. That they say, hey, let's let's go back, let's get some more grassroots racing, and it brings the this race, this short track showdown, back to Richmond. It would get those guys in the race a lot more recognition, and and again, I applaud Langley Speedway. But the average race fan doesn't really know where Langley Speedway is or what Langley Speedway is, but they've heard of Richmond. And I think it would just be much more – Richmond has much more, many more resources to advertise this race, um, to promote this race, and I think it would be better off at Richmond. And so when you look at that, I think this is a perfect example of something that was once at a big track, no longer at a big track, that needs to return for sure.
1: Actually, I think it's a little better off at Langley Speedway. I think it's one of those, I like whenever the cup drivers go to the smaller tracks instead of trying to bring the big bo- the kids up to the big tracks. These are guys at the Denny Hamlin Short Track Shootout who know and run Langley on a regular basis. And you're putting Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin in late models and running down there instead of running late models at Richmond where it costs a hell of a lot more to operate than it will at Langley. And one of the things Langley's going to have 15 to 20,000 people, and that place is going to be jam packed on a Thursday. The money the operator is going to be able to fund three other races with throughout the year, and Richmond's just going to collect money and keep it into the coffers of NASCAR. So having it at Richmond for the exposure of it, sure that'd be nice. Having it at Langley will pay off for short track racing as it continues down the road. So I'm a firm believer in keeping it at Langley. I like Langley Speedway. It's right in um right outside of Hampton Virginia, right by Newport News and Virginia Beach it's mm-hmm. got the uh, a big area to pull people from they'll do military discounts and stuff for all the soldiers and sailors that are in the uh Hampton roads area so it'll be a great race. It'll be a great night and it's all I think it's always better when you bring the big boys down to the small tracks because it gives some credibility to the small tracks that Richmond already has built in.
0: No doubt. And I think I think a lot of the things you touched on are certainly good points. I just think the advertising and the promotion, you know, um I don't think it would be anywhere close. You know, no again, I know Langley doesn't have the resources that Richmond has, and I think that's number one. So um you know, but if you, you put fifteen, twenty thousand
1: people in if you put fifteen, twenty thousand people in Langley, it's filled up.
0: If you put 15 20,000 fifteen,
1: twenty thousand people in Richmond it looks empty.
0: Yeah, but what the, I don't know what that does to me as far as a race fan. I mean, you know, I, if, if it gets the same amount of people, uh, I, you know, I don't know what that does to me. And I, 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 your point you're absolutely taking where it's going to help Langley, it's going to help the short track industry. I totally understand that. Um, so I think when you look at that, you have to sit there. Um, but I just think, again, that's one of the examples where a race that used to be at a big track is no longer at a big track. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles, but let me get John Harlow's prediction here really quick on who is going to win Uh, Richmond. You talk about Kyle Busch. You said nobody can touch him. Is that who you're going to go with here? uh, If you were a betting man, are you going to go with Kyle Busch this weekend?
1: If I'm a betting man, I go Kyle Busch because he just isn't being beat right now. And on the Xfinity race to win the uh, dash for cash, I'm going with Justin Allgaier because he's been so damn close and
0: Hasn't been able to taste it. He's going to get it this week. I'm going to go Daniel Hemrick because he's running the cup race. I think it's going to benefit him this week, uh, having the extra track time. We've seen how it's benefited with Ross Chastain and other drivers. I think that could be, he could be a guy to watch this weekend in the Xfinity Series. As far as the cup series is concerned, um, I'm going to go with Ryan Blaney just because I think, I like what that team is. They're good at Bristol. Uh, I think Blaney has a chance to certainly uh, win the race. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. We'll see you next week here on Talking in Circles right after Richmond. Good night, everybody.